whenever you pray with the gospel, it's important to recognize that it's never meant to be read like a fable. It's never meant to be reduced to a single takeaway message that you're meant to simply repeat over and over again to the end of time. The gospel is never meant to be read like that. But instead, fundamentally speaking, you're meant to recognize that the gospel always has many layers. It always has various textures which are meant to be uncovered and discovered over a long period of time as you grow in age and as you grow in the context of the spiritual life. So to illustrate the point, think about this really famous passage in the Gospel of Luke chapter 6, right? When the Lord talks about good trees and bad trees. So basically what he says is that the good tree produces good fruit, so the bad tree produces bad fruit. And so the Gospel culminates in a certain sense with this really famous line where the Lord basically says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, if we were to read this particular gospel like a fable, perhaps you might say that the takeaway message, if you will, is simply this. You can't focus simply on externals. You can't focus simply on externals, but instead you need to look deeper below the surface to realize that when it comes to sin, sin is often the external manifestation of a certain darkness within, right? And so, for example, if you struggle with gossip, right, malicious gossip at the expense of other people, rather than simply go forward in life trying to avoid the deadly sin of gossip, perhaps you might look inwards to look at the darkness within and realize that the solution, if you will, is in a certain sense to populate your mind and heart with good and holy things, right? Thoughts of gratitude, good thoughts with regards to your neighbor, and perhaps even various ideas as to how to build up the kingdom of heaven in the context of the here and now. Okay, now at this point, perhaps it might be really helpful to go back to the idea that we raised at the outset, right? Namely, this idea that you can't reduce the gospel to a single takeaway message. And so just to kind of illustrate the point, imagine you're sitting in the pews and you hear that the whole point of today's gospel is, again, to look below the surface, to uncover the darkness within. Well, perhaps your response might be to give in to a certain discouragement and despair. Because you're probably thinking to yourself on some level, well, gosh, it's not enough that I'm simply guilty of a whole variety of different sins. Now I got to consider the fact that perhaps I'm actually rotten to the core. And again, that sort of negative and oppressive thinking can very easily lead to a sense of discouragement and despair. But you know, I suppose my response to all this is to revisit the foundational tenets of Christian anthropology. Anthropology, of course, being the study of the human person. And so consider this. As a starting point, you've been made in the image and likeness of God, which means that you've been created good. And if you've been baptized, you're truly an adopted child of God. And you see, here's the thing. No amount of sin in this world can obscure either of these two essential realities, which means that you are never simply a sinner full stop, but instead you are always a loved sinner, a redeemed sinner, a sinner who has been truly forgiven by the blood of Christ through his great sacrifice on the cross. And that's who you are, because first and foremost, who you are is a beloved son or daughter of Christ the King. So to illustrate the point, I want to share with you the conversion story of someone named Peter Herbeck, who is one of the co-facilitators of Renewal Ministries, along with Ralph Martin. And so as the story goes, when Peter was still a young boy, his father Joe was a successful businessman, a decorated war hero, and a great leader in the community, who just happened to be an alcoholic. And so as Peter tells the story, there were many nights throughout the course of the week where his father simply wouldn't go home at time. And so the family just knew that he was out drinking. And when he came back, they would realize that he was not just drinking, but he was drinking to the point of, of just getting completely hammered. And this would happen time and time again. But at the same time, Peter said that his family had all the characteristics of a dysfunctional alcoholic family, which is basically to say that everyone cooperated and collaborated to make sure that everything seemed okay on the surface. And so for the most part, all the kids were really good students, they were really well behaved, with the exception of Peter Herbeck. 
And so from the age of five, Peter acted out a lot. He rebelled against authority, and he even played hooky on a number of occasions. But the turning point for the family in a certain sense was when Peter's sister Kathy, who had been heavily involved in this Christian prayer group, arranged for the meeting of the brothers and sisters in the context of which she said to them, we need to pray to Jesus to help our father. But the prerequisite in a certain sense for all of this is that we need to put Jesus at the center of our lives. And not all of us are doing this. And Peter, the way he tells the story is that he felt like when Kathy said this thing about not everyone putting Jesus at the center of their lives, uh, he felt like she was looking at him specifically. You know, him being, of course, the black sheep of the family. And because the sister was so convicted and Peter knew that his sister Kathy wasn't crazy, that was the first time he really prayed sincerely to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he prayed some variation of like, look, Jesus, if you're real, heal my father. And so again, if you're real, heal my father. And so then apparently what happened is that two weeks later, Peter was staying up late at night doing his homework because, again, his father had been drinking at one of the local bars. And so he and the other boys had been waiting for the father to come back home when all of a sudden the father came through the door and he grabbed Peter by the arm and said, son, look at me. And at first, Peter didn't want to look at him because he didn't want to get in a fight with his drunken father. But then his father was insistent. And so finally, Peter looked up at his father, Joe, and his father said to him, son, I'm a sick man. Son, I'm a sick man and I need help. And see, here's where it gets kind of interesting. And so Peter, being still a young boy, like he, he didn't normally respond to his father like this, but apparently what he said to his father was, you know, dad, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Jesus will heal you. And so apparently what happened after that is that um, Joe, his father, picked up the phone, called the local doctor, enrolled in a four-week treatment program, at the conclusion of which he apparently stood up in the middle of a group and said, look, I'm an alcoholic and I simply cannot live without Jesus at the center of my life. And then what happened over the next 20 years, uh, he was sober until the day of his death and all of his kids came back to the faith. Now, the story doesn't end there. And so when he was basically in his late 50s, Peter decided to enroll himself into counseling because he still realized that he was wrestling with a whole variety of different issues stemming from his childhood. And his counselor apparently had a sort of a Christian background. So basically what he invited Peter to do was to imagine himself in a scene from his childhood, to imagine himself in a scene from his childhood and then to invite Jesus into that scene. And so Peter imagined himself as an adult standing in the middle of this playground where he and the other kids used to play. And in a distance, he saw in his mind's eye his younger self, so the younger version of himself standing underneath the tree. And then in his mind's eye, he kind of saw Jesus take the hand of his younger self and invite him to walk towards his older self, in response to which the younger Peter simply didn't want to go. And when Jesus asked him, like, what's wrong? The younger Peter said, he, meaning his older self, he is ashamed of me. He doesn't like me. In response to which Peter Herbeck suddenly realized that it was true. He was deeply ashamed of his younger self. He did not like his younger self. And over time, he came to realize that he had internalized his father's deep sense of self-hatred. As a result of which, he just started bawling in his counselor's office for basically 30 minutes. But you see, here's where things get kind of interesting. And so everything I've been saying thus far about the life of Peter Herbeck, I originally heard in the context of that podcast, Restore the Glory with Dr. Bob Schutz and Jay Kim. Again, two Catholic psychologists who teach psychology from a Catholic perspective. And basically at this point of Peter Herbeck's testimony, Dr. Bob Schutz made a really interesting observation. And so basically what he said was this. 
Peter, I've always known that you've had the gift of prophecy. And not prophecy in a sense of foretelling the future, but in a sense of, of speaking God's prophetic truth. The truth which cuts you to the core, the, the truth which leads a person to a healthy form of conversion. And so again, Peter, I've always known that you've had the gift of prophecy, that you've had a prophetic anointing, if you will. But the thing I didn't realize until now is that you had that gift of prophecy even when you were five years old. And so Dr. Bob went on to say that while everyone else was trying to conform, to be civilized, to pretend that everything was okay, here was the young Peter, the young five-year-old Peter, in a certain sense, screaming at the top of his lungs, shouting from the hilltops that things really aren't okay. And then Dr. Bob went on to say, well, look, you know, Peter, you got to realize that you're the one that your father went to. You're the one who said to your father, Jesus will heal you. And you're the one throughout the course of your life who has been trying desperately to conform to the truth, to conform to God's truth, even though the whole process of conforming to God's divine truth is sometimes difficult, sometimes challenging, and sometimes, many times, extremely painful. And you see, if you read between the lines, what Dr. Bob was basically trying to say to Peter Herbeck in his adult condition was that, look, even though you might have been inclined to hate your younger self, to be ashamed and despise your younger self, you got to realize that kid wasn't a bad kid. That kid was not a bad kid, but instead he was crying for help. He was crying for love. Because what is sin at the end of the day? Sin is the external manifestation of a need which has not been met and a wound which has not been healed. In other words, out of the abundance of the hearts, the mouth speaks. Now, you see, what this means for us, practically speaking, is that going forward, for sure, God will bring to our attention certain sins and certain patterns of sin. But you see, here's the thing. When He does so, you must not be afraid. You must not back away from that particular revelation. But instead, you need to actually lean into the thing. Because you got to realize that the only reason why God reveals these things to you is not to have you wallow in a sense of shame or self-hatred or self-pity, but rather because He's calling you to a deeper sense of freedom, a freedom which is truly befitting the sons and daughters of Christ the King. And may God bless you all.